This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about swordfish. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a fun one because I don't think I've ever considered the swordfish. <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't think I've ever really sat down and considered how wild they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're very large and very frightening, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and super tasty. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, was there any particular reason this was on your mind? Uh, for once, I have a definitive answer for you. Um, yes. So, uh, so one one of my other birthday i i have a bunch of different groups of friends and so we have so so i always have a bunch of different birthday excursions and one of mm-hmm. them um involved swordfish and it was lovely um i was at ticonderoga club which is a which is a great restaurant here in atlanta and um yeah it was their catch of the day and it was just so nice and i was like and i was thinking about doing another seafood episode cuz it's been a second since we've done one they're always mm-hmm. so weird and fun and uh yeah i was like there you go Ooh, I'm jealous. I, I've I've had swordfish once, but I don't think I've ever had it well. Like it wasn't oh, bad, yeah. mm-hmm. but like I think it could have been much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had it frequently, kind of like a little bit overcooked and sort of tough. But when it's mm-hmm. done right, it is so just tender and lovely. Um, mm-hmm. Oofta, yeah. Oh, jeez. Well. Another craving to add to the list. Um, the cravings are wild <laughs> all over the place today. Um, so I, first of all, my S key is not working on my laptop. Oh, so. All right. I had to, I had to go through like 
great hoops to get it to say swordfish, but then <laughs> it, it said wordfish throughout oh, most of it, a, and that was very fun. Yeah, wordfish is a great kind of fish. Oh, yeah. I mean, I immediately was like, oh. Is that a like a babel fish? fish or? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, but it did bring to mind, I have a very embarrassing swordfish story. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I actually think it's a marlin story, oh. but they're close hmm. enough that I'll they're put them in the same within category. The billfish category, sure, yeah. Yeah, well... Um, oh no! Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm really embarrassed by it. Okay, so <laughs> I was filming something at the beach house that I'm very lucky to have access to that my grandparents owned, um, and inside of it is kind of a mounted swordfish slash probably marlin. I think it's marlin, but billfish. Okay. Uh, and so I had people, including Tyler, who we work with, uh, there. And I was like, ah, yes, this is the story of my aunt who caught this fish and all of this. Uh, but it turns out that, <laughs> so I wasn't incorrect. She did catch <laughs> the fish and okay. it did get cast Mountain, um, uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh. But it was definitely not that because there was, uh, Tyler pointed out, there was just a dent in it and it was clearly uh, plastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. I was embarrassed and ashamed because I was like, <laughs> I, know. I know it's true. What I said was true, but this doesn't look good. <laughs> it looks like a fish story. <laughs> Uh, oh, so you were you were telling your fish tale. That's okay. That's I okay. was, I was, uh, and I wasn't lying. But certainly that was not. You just had one minor detail incorrect about the physical piece of evidence yeah. that you were talking about. I like that you said minor. I'm gonna take that. <laughs> I'm gonna like hold on to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, yeah, happens to everyone. Come on. I believed it though. Like I, I thought what I was saying was true, and, and Tyler was like, I was like pointing well, at this. Made, he's like, it's made of plastic, ma'am. It's made of plastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was scrambling, like, I what? I, my reality is false. <laughs> Your paradigm just shifted. It did. It did. Uh, but. Every time I see it now, because it's still hanging up there and the the dent is still there, I'm like, mm. no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, minor dent, minor mistake. It's all okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I I wanted to note here at the top that um I was very fond of the game Donkey Kong Country. Yes. When I was growing up and mm-hmm. um, on guard, the swordfish um, was a really good, really good animal companion in that game. He was. Yeah. I was fond of that, too. The music is very nostalgic for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say you can see our bluefin tuna episode. And also our fishing industry episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, Hawaii has a lot of swordfish fishing involvement. Um, and uh, so, right, uh, 
Brooks, one of the fellows who we interviewed, was talking about um, how Hawaii had had this whole collaboration with East Coast Fisheries, um, developing marketing and packing for the fish. Um, and he said that specifically, like, fishers for swordfish are out for like a month to a month and a half at a time. Um, and so when they come back, they sometimes hold like separate auctions for the swordfish versus all of the other wacky stuff they've brought in. <laughs> um, and also, uh, yeah, there was a really good line. Maybe we'll play the clip. If not, then I'll say it here. Uh, J John, who is a guy that we ran into in the fish market because he yelled at us when we were coming into the room and then apologized really profusely and like showed us all around and introduced mm -hmm. us to everybody and was amazing. Um, but yeah, he uh, he he said that uh, the nothing really fusses with a swordfish in the ocean. It's the bull. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. Certainly not. No, no. Yeah. And it was it was there in that at that fish auction that I realized exactly how big swordfish are because I write my my concept of them is from right things that are hanging on walls that are mm -hmm. maybe me sized but we saw like 300 pound swordfish at that auction and I was like oh that's it's a big fish that's mm -hmm. large mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not even a really big one yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of this research was like old timey accounts mm -hmm. of oh, yeah. swordfish. Oh, yeah. People didn't know what was going on. A menace. A menace. <laughs> mm hmm. But I guess that brings us to our question. I guess it does. Swordfish. What are they? Well, a swordfish is a type of large, billed, deep ocean fish that's prized for its uh, firm, savory meat. Um, it's not so, like, it's not so delicate that it can't stand up to grilling, um, but still kind of briny, sweet, and tender if it's cooked correctly. Um, in in the oceans, these are like big, powerful, fast, migratory apex predators, built like a like a torpedo with a bayonet on it. Um, you get four loins from a swordfish, uh, four quarters of like the oval that is the overall body of the fish. Yeah. Um, you often slice each loin crosswise into thick steaks and then grill or saute or bake them as like the main protein of a plate. But it's also cooked up in stews or served raw in sushi or, you know, whatever you do with fish. The meat is nearly opaque, like white to pinkish to orangish when it's raw, depending on the fish's diet, um, and will cook up to like an opaque white to beige. And it can stand up to more flavorful uh, herbs, spices, and sauces than more delicate kinds of seafood. It's um, sort of like a middle ground between like tuna and mackerel, kind of. Um, yeah. Less fishy than mackerel, but yeah, uh, it's like it's like the pork loin of the sea. Um, <laughs> if like your pork was coming from like a pretty frightening, like 300 pound wild boar. <gasps> they are frightening. Um, oh, but boar and swordfish both. both. Yeah. All. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the taxonomical name is, uh, Xiphius gladius, gladius. Sure. Um, uh, and the, the, the genus name, uh, Xiphius comes from the Greek word for swordfish, which is itself rooted in the Greek word for sword. 
And the species name, gladius, gladius comes from the Latin word for sword. So it's called the swordfish sword? The fish sword sword? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yes. They do also often go by the name billfish. Um, they are the only living member of their taxonomic family, though there are some extinct species that are known, and other billed fish, like marlids, are distantly related. You can tell by the, uh, by the shape of the bill. Uh, a swordfish's bill is like a flat-edged half-oval, uh, whereas other billed fish tend to have rounded bills. Yeah. Yeah. And the swordfish's is, is sharp. So yeah. watch out for that. Stay out. Mm -hmm. Stay away. That's what I say. <laughs> when you see a swordfish, stay yep. away. Yep. Just, just no thanks. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. You do you. Mm -hmm. They live in deep waters in relatively temperate areas of the Pacific, Indian, and Atlantic Oceans, uh, and the Mediterranean Sea as well. They'll migrate to higher latitudes with cooler waters in the summer and closer to the equator for warmer temperatures in the winter. They have special adaptations to to cold water that you find down in the deep. Um, uh, like they have like heater tissue near their eyes that insulates their brain from the cold, which, right, lets mm -hmm. them dive down deep, like over 2,000 feet or 600 meters. Um, though they do hang out anywhere from that sort of depth up to the surface. They also like basking. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all do. Oh, gosh, right? I'm a... <laughs> I'm like a cat or possibly a snake. Sure. <laughs> uh, their life cycle is super interesting because they are a spawning fish, meaning that they release their sperm and eggs into the water for fertilization. Um, and so they, they go through several distinct body changes, like out there in the water before they reach adulthood. Um, they hatch with scales and teeth and uh, dorsal fins along the whole length of their body. That, that's the one that goes straight down their spine, like a, like a shark fin, yeah. Um, uh, and the, the top and bottom of their bills at that time are roughly the same length. Then, over like five to six years, they develop through different stages until they reach reproductive maturity and their adult body type um, with no teeth, no scales, um, just a wee shark-like dorsal fin, and um, their top jaw or bill much longer than their lower jaw. At that point, their skin will be like brownish black on their backs, fading to a lighter grayish on their bellies. Female swordfish are larger than male ones, and their size will vary based on where they're observed. Um, Pacific ones tend to be larger than Atlantic ones, which tend to be larger than Mediterranean ones. And of course, uh, there, there are different catch laws in different countries, but most commercially fished swordfish are like under six feet long and weigh less than 300 pounds. That's about two meters and 140 kilos. Um... However, they are thought to be able to grow to almost 15 feet um, and 1,400 pounds. Um, that's like four and a half meters and 650 kilos. Um, their, their bills can be almost half as long as their bodies. Um, and they live to at least nine years of age or can. Yeah. Dang. I know. Right? I know that's, a really, that's a really large fish. Don't. Again. Don't mess with it. Uh, no. No, thanks. Nuh-uh. I'm good. Uh. <laughs> Oofta. Um, mm -hmm. Especially because they are also considered some of the fastest swimmers in the ocean. Um, like, their bodies are really streamlined. Their bill might help reduce drag um, by, like, 
encouraging boundary layer separation, meaning that like it lets the majority of the water flow around them more easily by kind of like, yeah, creating a a, a boundary. Um, uh, and also recent research showed that they have an oil gland in their face that probably helps lubricate their heads further reducing drag. Wow. They're like the the NASCAR drivers. Right? Yeah. Evolution. <laughs> what are you doing? So cool. <laughs> um, and they, uh, they do not use their bills to stab, but they will sometimes um, slash or like knock about their prey, um, their prey being other fish or uh, sometimes cephalopods, to like injure or stun it before eating. Um, younger swordfish in turn might be prey for other like apex predators like marlin or tuna, but adults are pretty much too big for anything other than like, like orca or other big sea mammals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These days, humans usually catch them using uh, long line fishing technology, which are um, baited hooks that are hung midwater in these long chains. Um, but harpoons and gill nets are also used, uh, gill nets being like big panels of netting that are hung midwater. In the United States, um, both Atlantic and Pacific caught swordfish are considered a sustainable seafood choice, um, but they are currently overfished in other areas like the Mediterranean. Um, so, like, check on information for your area when you're making seafood choices. That's always always good advice if you're concerned about sustainability. Um, and also watch out for like like for for labeling about where something was caught. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that said, um, we're a food show. Um, they, they develop, you know, like a lot of muscle that has like a mid to high level of fat to it. And that is just like really firm and meaty in texture, sort of like a toonie or toonie. <laughs> That's great. Leave it in. Sort of like a tuna or mahi-mahi. And yeah, the, the flavor is like clean and bright and savory and and not super fishy um so if you're not positive that you like fish this might be a good kind of like starter fish um the skin is inedible though so yeah there you go good note mm -hmm. uh well what about the nutrition uh swordfish is pretty good for you um lots of protein and micronutrients um a, a punch of good fats as a large predator, it does contain more mercury than what will accumulate in smaller fish because the smaller fish get a little bit of mercury and then the bigger fish get the accumulation. Yeah. So uh, children and pregnant people might want to avoid eating swordfish for that reason. But for other adults, um, the official recommendation is to like limit your intake of predatory fish to five or fewer servings a week. Seems doable. I think that's yeah. fine. Yeah. I think you've got this. Yeah. I think so, too. <laughs> um, we do have some numbers for you. We do. Um, this this first one is based on, like, a kind of weird market report that I found. Um, so, all right. In terms of frozen fillets of swordfish, as of 2021, it is a business worth some $77 million a year globally, um, with Spain exporting the most and Japan importing the most. And and according to this report, <laughs> frozen swordfish fillets are the world's 4,475th most traded product. Wow, that's very specific. It's an extremely specific number. I like it. 
I like it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, fish fraud is always a thing. One study from 2018 found that 15% of samples of fish labeled swordfish in Italy um, were not swordfish. Um, they were mostly shark. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the world record for the largest swordfish ever caught uh, by, by the International Game Fish Association specifically. Um, it was logged in 1953. Um, we've not done better since 1953. It weighed 1,182 pounds and was over 14 feet long. Um, that's 536 kilos and over four meters. Um, it was caught off the coast of Chile. <laughs> the the photos there there are photos of it and the photos look like look like the the, the scene in Jaws where they're holding up a, a great white like it's yeah very big <laughs> oh my gosh oh, I uh <laughs> I my family used to have a shrimp boat and one time when I was like nine years old something was in the shrimp boat net and it was pulling the boat under oh my goodness and it was dragging us back and we had to cut the net oh, and to this wow. day like i'm haunted by it was probably like a, a tree or so. i don't know it could have i mean it could have been anything um it could have been anything that's that's the thing that's the thing with the water you never know what's down there exactly that's why i'm haunted <laughs> Could have been some huge mutant swordfish. <laughs> oh. I don't. I don't really like boats, y'all. Like I'm like you can't walk. I, I can't walk on water. Like if you fall in it, you you, you can't just stand up. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a little intimidating. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, anyway, that's a whole that's a whole separate <laughs> podcast, probably. Um, all right. Uh this next number is a little bit contested, but I have seen lots of claims that swordfish can swim up to about 60 miles an hour. That's like a hundred kilometers an hour. Wow. Yeah. Um, I found a couple of dated numbers. Mm -hmm. Some of them will be in the history section, but here's one mm -hmm. right here. Uh in 1995, the U.S. processed 4,549 tons of swordfish that had an estimated value of $53.4 million. Hoofda, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. As of the 2020s, Americans eat about 20 million pounds of swordfish a year, about 80% of which is imported. Wow. In 2021, commercial landings of North Atlantic Swordfish specifically came in around two million pounds and was valued at about eight point four million. So some of those like specificities, I think, got confusing. Yeah, um, yeah. And right, because those were those were landings specifically for boats originating in the US alone. Yes. Um, like yes. American, American fishers. Um, but uh like Canada and Spain and Portugal also have significant commercial landings in the North Atlantic. Um, in the South Atlantic, like Uruguay and Brazil do the most sword fishing. Taiwan and Japan also do business in the Atlantic, though. Um, and that same year, 2021, uh, uh, American North Pacific commercial catches were about the same, um, about about 2 million pounds, though only valued at $7.4 million. Hmm. Um, hmm. 
And yeah, Hawaii-based, like I said at the top, uh, Hawaii-based vessels and crews do the most swordfish harvest in the East Pacific. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah, and there, there's a lot, for better or worse, uh, there's a lot of reality shows about catching swordfish. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... Outside of that, we do have a lot of interesting history for you. Oh, heck, we do. Um, And we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. All right. So I guess with the name, you might imagine uh, (laughs) the history of the swordfish is one that is full of legends. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Some sources suggest that the practice of catching swordfish in the Mediterranean specifically goes back to ancient times um, around the second century BCE. Our pal Pliny wrote about swordfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to variations on a Greek myth, after the death of Achilles, his warriors, who were really good with spears, threw themselves into the sea in their anguish, and the goddess Thetis, uh, Thetis, Thetis, uh, transformed them into swordfish. Uh. <laughs> cool. Or, I mean, uncool, as the case may be, but... Um, uh... Yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Um, <laughs> but it's a good myth. It's fun, a good, fun myth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, a few sources that I read claimed that indigenous people of the North American Pacific coast observed swordfish. Yeah. Um, there's evidence of uh, Chumash peoples of what's now Southern California harpooning swordfish dating back some 2,000 years. Um, And also, like, they and some people in what's now Chile um, depicted swordfish in rock paintings. Um, Also, um, the skulls and the bills of swordfish have sometimes been decorated and used um, either uh, ceremonially or as art. Ooh. 
Um, well, okay. So before the advent of steel hulls for boats in the 1900s, several sailors reported swordfish attacking their boats. Um, even as far back as the ancient times, some fishermen speculated that these swordfish attacked ships as a form of revenge after being hooked. Um, <laughs> however, it is likely that many of these attacks uh, were the work of marlins or sailfish, like similar looking uh, type of. Yeah. Yes, hmm. exactly. Um, but that was a, th- a thread I wasn't expecting. But when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, In the early 1800s, harpoon fisheries started opening in New England. Um, 1884's The Fisheries and Fishery Industries of the United States uh, mentioned swordfish. The first mention of fishermen attempting to catch swordfish north of Cape Cod didn't occur until 1867. And a lot of this came from very dry uh, fishing government uh pamphlet kind of things yeah 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 yeah. or guides or stuff like that yeah i ran into a few of those historical sources and was just like oh my goodness cool it it was a very i feel like the fishing episodes have a lot of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. where i'm like oh here's 80 pages (laughs) on how to catch a swordfish (laughs) yeah from like 1923 and you're going like what is happening (laughs) yep yep Yep. speaking of uh herman melville's 1851 novel moby dick contained a reference to a swordfish um so it was like a story being told within the novel okay um where in the story being told, a swordfish is believed to have sank a boat. Ah, okay. Yes. And this wasn't the first time Melville wrote about the swordfish or swordfish attacking a boat. He devoted a whole chapter to it in his previous 1949 novel, Mardi, uh, calling it a true warrior. And like really going into, into depth about how it, destroyed this boat <laughs> yeah all right melville yeah that's <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and like historians as they want to do have picked into the truth of this story sure. because it is like allegedly based on the real thing that happened yeah um yeah you can read in read into it but yeah it, it certainly sounds like uh some conjecture was had. yeah. Well, it's Mel- Melville was sort of a big fanboy of the fishing mm-hmm. industry and hung mm-hmm. out with a lot of a lot of people in the industry, like in bars and whatever. And uh, so, so I'm sure heard some tall tales here and there, some fish stories, mm-hmm. big fish stories, as mm-hmm. you might say. Uh, two decades after the publication of Marty, Jules Verne's novel Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea featured a swordfish stabbing at a submarine. Which that movie, I've never read the book, but that movie scared me as a kid. Oh, that's fair. I've actually not done either. It's I've just missed <gasps> that entire thing. I know. Oof. Oof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some records suggest Canada's commercial swordfish industry launched in 1903. Um, and according to some things I read, I actually found some conflicting data on this but according to some things i read the demand for swordfish really grew in the united states between the 1920s to the 1940s 
um, and that prior to that, in the North Atlantic, it went for pretty cheap, but that it doubled in price uh, by the 1940s as demand increased, and then it kind of dropped and went back up again. But I also found some things where it said that I think it really depended on where you were located. Oh, sure. Honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I can imagine that as uh, refrigeration techniques um, mm-hmm. and technology increased, that the demand would increase because you could get it to more people. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I think this was specific to, like, the North Atlantic because mm-hmm. other things I read said it was always expensive, mm-hmm. uh, which sure. makes sense. Oh, sure. Pelagic long lines began replacing harpoons in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. In some areas, yeah. Um, other places adopted those gill nets around the same time, like maybe like a decade or so later. But yeah. Uh, 2,000 feet underwater off the coast of Savannah, Georgia, a swordfish attacked a submarine and got stuck. Oh, yeah. And and technicians were able to free it, but its bill broke off. Oh, no, buddy. I know. Oh. <laughs> I know. Um. From 1948 to 1970, the world swordfish harvest increased from 7,000 tons to 37,700 tons. So a lot. A huge increase. Um, However, 1970 saw a significant drop in the harvest due to rising concerns from customers about the fish harboring high levels of mercury. On top of that... Uh, there were growing concerns about the population of North Atlantic swordfish. So to begin addressing some of them, the U.S. implemented the first Atlantic Swordfish Fishery Management Plan in 1985, which reduced the harvest of smaller swordfish, um, set up some rules around monitoring and equipment, and started to collect data to make more informed choices. Um, maximum size limits were established in the U.S. in 1991. Several other measures were taken too, limiting catch sizes, uh, limiting where and when swordfish could be caught, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, by the late 1990s and early 2000s, the population of the North Atlantic swordfish had fallen 65% below target levels. Ooh. Yeah. Um, In 2000, the International Commission for the Conservation of Atlantic Tunas, I-C-C-A-T, ICCAT? ICCAT. Let me know. Um, (laughs) Instituted a 10-year plan to recover the population and bring it back up to healthy levels because the swordfish fell under their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had these other measures that they had put in place. uh, And it worked uh, all these things works. Um, it cat <laughs> ICCAT announced mm-hmm. that due to responsible measures around harvesting, the stock was completely rebuilt in 2009, which was a year ahead of schedule. Oh, wow. um, their assessment remained the same when they checked again in 2017. Um, and it was and continues to be an international effort. Oh, yeah. Um, but. As always, important note, these regulations, while usually well-intentioned, have impacts on fishers, um, sometimes unintended and harmful impacts. Um, The number of swordfish fisheries has dropped drastically in the United States, particularly uh, in part due to some of these regulations and things like labor and fuel cost. And in light of that, 
These organizations and governing bodies are working on revising some of these regulations. Um, it's always important to have those who, who work in the industry at the table. Like that's when it fails. Is oh, that yeah. You don't ask the people actually working in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, they yeah. are they are the experts in what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and these conversations, right, are ongoing. Um, you know, the fishing industry has a lot of moving parts to consider. Uh, just this year, California settled on phasing out gillnet use for swordfish by 2027 because it's deemed to have too much bycatch, um, meaning it catches too many things that are not swordfish in their nets. Um, but with only harpoons and um, deep set boy gear, which are um, which are like individual lines hung midwater, they're, they're not linked like long lines are, long lines being uh, prohibited on, on the West Coast. Um, with, with, with just those two things, some people in the industry are concerned that fishers aren't going to be able to cover their costs with what they can catch. Um, and like, you know, like some of the bycatch was actually valuable byproduct, like some of it was stuff that they could turn around and sell, but some of it was protected species. Um, and the thing is that that harpooning and boy gear are both individual fish catching techniques. You're only getting one fish at a time. And, you know, with a harpoon, you're perhaps obviously only getting one fish at a time. Um, with, with the boys, you're, you're watching each individual boy so that um, you pull up whatever is trapped immediately and can therefore release bycatch, um, which is great and leads to a better, fresher product because long lines and gill nets can have the animals just just dead on a line for hours before you get to them. Um, but it's also much more labor intensive. Um, and the market is resistant to price increases. So, you know, it, it's it's complicated. It really is. Um, and that's why it's important to include all of those pieces. Yeah. Um, because it, it is like, uh, I read a lot of articles about it where there was, you know, we're helping save a turtle was used in a lot of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is protected species. And I'm totally for but we're not like taking into account all these other things. Um, it is complicated. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, finding finding a happy medium where you make it possible for people to make a living because mm -hmm. if you don't, then uh, then you're not going to get swordfish. And so that, <laughs> yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. I definitely want some swordfish now. I feel like, listeners, if you have any recipes. Oh, are you going to look for some? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm in, I'm in seafood zone right now like, oh is summer is want. a good time for it yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna make um i'm gonna make uh spring rolls tonight I Ooh, think. all right uh, yeah shrimp but yeah. anyway yes uh let me know <laughs> if you have any definitely <laughs> i think that's what we have to say about the swordfish for now it is it is uh we do have some listener mail for you though and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with You're right. I forgot about the Donkey Kong uh, relation. But yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten that his name was on guard. That's really, that's yeah. really good. That's real good. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. <laughs> I get. I often get the very notoriously bad in '64 Donkey Kong theme stuck in my head, and uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines. I think about it all the time. Is with relative ease, and so I'll just be doing something, and all of a sudden in my head, I'll be like, "You did it with relative <laughs> ease." <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you know, you know that song. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so amazing. <laughs> this this episode is really full of very specific, very it is. specific facts. It is. I feel like we're all learning a lot yeah. together. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're speaking of. Oh my goodness. Um, Arik wrote. The martini is definitely a classic drink that everyone should try once. Mm. It is a drink I enjoy when I'm in the mood for something different and in a place that makes a good one. I think it is tough to find a place that does make a good martini, though. Um, That whole thing with the Parmesan espresso martini, no. I think (laughs) I vaguely see the theory, but Parmesan is not the way to go. I don't see how that aftertaste would be good. I've also seen a group of people I trust review it, and not one of them enjoyed it. Hmm. All basically said the same thing about the aftertaste. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Biscotti. Oh, biscotti. (laughs) It is an amazing cookie when done well. And still a good one done average. (laughs) Once again, going back to if you visit Pittsburgh, uh, we're going to the Strip District. Enrico Biscotti is awesome. One of those places where I always think when I go in that it is 
quote, yes, I want one of each of the biscotti you have. (laughs) I feel lucky we have them in Pittsburgh. I've also seen them at Jungle Gyms in Cincy. So you should tell, so that should tell you something as well. My oldest makes a really good biscotti. Too bad she doesn't live at home or we would have them more often. Mm -hmm. Although maybe better for my waistline (laughs) that she doesn't live at home. The tomato redux was fun. I'm not a big tomato fan, probably stemming from having so many bad ones growing up from grocery stores and restaurants. It is hard to find good ones. There are places that I will eat the tomato on the sandwich or in a meal as I trust they are buying good ones. In the summer, I will get some from the local farmer's markets, especially since we can't grow our own this year. Like you mentioned, the imported tubed tomato paste is the best. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On a different note for the tomato, is it, or at least the etymology, chaotic neutral? (laughs) Finally, (laughs) feel free to run long. I don't know how many people would complain. I know I love the random things that pop up. Your show is one of my favorite shows. Just had a sudden, slightly devious thought. What if you teamed up with Jonathan Strickland to crash Ridiculous History with some kind of wonderful quizster food scenario? I think it would be hysterical. Oh. A chaos, for sure. Trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. The pun potential with you and and Strickland in a room together. That's a lot. That might be the end of the world. (laughs) Like, I think we would get in a pun off and that's just it. That's... <laughs> the apocalypse is triggered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not opposed to it. I'm yeah. Just, if uh, you know. if y'all aren't familiar, ridiculous history is uh, one of the shows that some of our our friends here at work um, at, at iHeart uh, work on. And uh, yes, Jonathan Strickland is another host who comes over from tech stuff uh, and other things that he does to to be the quizster. So. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I was on it once to talk about spam, but I, I felt a little out of my depth, to be honest. Oh, but yeah. I feel that way every time mm-hmm. I guest on another show. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, all of all of this is good. Good. I I didn't I had never considered like a biscotti heavy bakery, but that's wonderful. Yeah. I feel like when I first started on this show and I was much more um, excited <laughs> about doing social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, it was in Boston and I went to a cannoli place. Oh yeah. And I was, my mind was blown because I had never had a cannoli before. And here I am at a place that had like 24 varieties oh, my of goodness. cannoli. Oh wow. Yeah. So I feel like it would be a similar experience with this biscotti where I'd be like I've had the one kind of plain and not so great Hmm. one you can get in like Starbucks if I went to this right mind blown Mm -hmm. heck yes I'm I'm still I'm still a little bit stuck in the like 20 different kinds of cannoli land Mm -hmm. but I'm coming back I'm coming I'm I'm coming back back from that lovely place um uh uh Tina wrote um Lauren Hudson Valley Seed Library sells Oxheart tomato seeds. They are only sold in packets of like five seeds, and they have limited supplies every year because the tomatoes are so meaty that they produce very few seeds. 
I have not tried to grow them, but I've had fantastic luck with all the other tomatoes I've obtained through their catalog. Perhaps you'll be able to once again experience the joy of those tomatoes. One year for our anniversary, I bought my husband a custom cocktail recipe made using the sweetest cherry tomatoes that you can find. Uh, The recipe is actually called the I Say Tomato Julep, and it's become a summer staple in our house. I grow a variety called Honey Drops for this purpose, though he does have to get to them before our eight-year-old daughter does. Mm, that sounds so good. It does. Oh wow. I've Gosh. I've had a couple of tomato and cocktail experiences and they've always been delightful. Oh, I mean, gosh. aside from like a Bloody Mary, which is a tomato and a cocktail experience for sure. But. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have I have had pretty strong tomato cravings lately. To oh be yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just so. about season, so I know, but I'm trying to like find the good ones. And I love, yeah. this is not the only person who wrote in about how you could get uh, some of these ox heart oh, tomatoes. Oh, so. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I like, I like read that and I got kind of like verklempt. Like that's like really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. You're also, you're the best. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. We do appreciate it. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, so. Thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.